Let's go, boys. The Street Press Podcast with Sean Fraser. For a start, there are not enough white men doing podcasts. I've got to always support that when that comes along. I was talking to a mate today at a baby queue. We didn't cook a baby. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that yeah. was. I just want to thank you. I'm yeah, no, it was meat. He wouldn't shake our hand until he finished putting on his glove. Imagine what he's like during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got you here for the podcast after your big night last oh. night, so I'm stoked with that. I get a thrill knowing that you're doing what you're doing. That's good. Well, I don't know what I'm doing today. We're just sort of just winging it. Did you moon Kylie Minogue? Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Street Press Podcast. My name is Sean Fraser. I am a singer, songwriter, a music journalist, and I sing and I play in a pop punk band from Australia called The Ritzy Kids. If this is your first time here, g'day. It is nearly the end of winter. How have you gone? I don't mind winter these days. I, I used to hate it as a kid. Riding around on my push bike in summer was the best. When those winter months had rolled around, I'd be like, no. But as I've gotten older and greyer, I don't mind winter. I don't mind just sitting at home. I'm more of a homebody these days. I don't have a push bike. Um, and that doesn't interest me as much as it used to. I am looking forward to spring and summer, though. I love going to the beach, walking the dog down there, and uh, beers taste better in summer. And a lot more friends when I hang out over summer. Plus, music festivals. There's usually a plethora of uh, music festivals around Australia, and uh, I'm hoping to get out to a couple of them as well. Anyways, today's episode, we have an Australian rock legend. Uh, He has been in the industry for over 40 years. His name is Steve Kilby from The Church. Now, his band has written so many songs, I'd say it would only come close to a band like The Beatles. I can't believe how much material there is from this band, and not just the band, Steve and his solo work as well. I'd say he's probably written or recorded and released over 300 songs. Obviously, the Beatles, they had about 300. But in my research, I was sitting there, I was thinking, I don't know if I've spoken to anyone who has written this much material. Obviously, the church had two really big hits, Under the Milky Way and The Unguarded Moment. Under the Milky Way tonight Yeah, it rings a bell, doesn't it? We're going to have Steve Kilby on. He is the singer of that band. Uh, This interview is the first one that I've done over Zoom. I much prefer to be sitting across from someone with the microphones. I think you get a lot more out of your guests, but this might change everything. Steve was very open with me about everything, and he was showing me around his lounge room, which was a real honour. He's not just a musician, he's also an artist as well, so he was showing me some of his artwork that he's done. Uh, He also produces some of the artwork that you see on the church albums. So he's very creative. We talk about the job that he absolutely despised before he got into music or while he was getting into music. He had to work. That's the thing, right? Struggling musician, you've always got to have uh, a backup plan, as mum and dad used to tell me. Um, We also talk about the city that he doesn't like so much and why he doesn't like that city. We chat about him getting Blocked out of Australia when he was in the United States. We talk about his tour over there. He opens up on how he feels about young Aussie artists coming through that are covering the church songs now. And we also speak about how hard it is to get a set list together when you've got so many songs. It might surprise you who picks the set list for the church as well. Uh, And I will warn you that this episode does have a fair bit of swearing in it, a few F-bombs dropped, but hey, it's rock and roll. That's what we do. Let's get him on. Steve Kelby from The Church. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, mate. Hey, guess what? 
You know how we were supposed to talk yesterday at 12? Yeah. At 18 minutes past 12, I got a message saying, can you do an interview with this chap at 12? And I thought, well, that's very interesting. I got told 18 minutes after it was supposed to happen. <laughs> and then I did. And then, you know, I tried to jump on a Zoom meeting, but it was it was already too late. So I'm sorry about that. That's okay. I was just kicking around here doing nothing. How you been, mate? What, what have you been up to today? Today I went and jumped in the ocean nice. and then I did a little bit of body surfing, which surprised me how quickly that tired me out. Didn't wasn't a great feeling. Then I sat in the sun and then I came home and did a couple of interviews. I like doing interviews. It's not that hard to talk about yourself. It's better than working. Yeah, absolutely. You know, better than having a job. Job's the fucking worst thing. <laughs> job, look, I had a job once. What was your job? What were you doing? I was in the public service. Did you like it? No. <laughs> um, I sat there watching the clock going round. You hadn't looked at the clock for a little while and you go, oh, must be four o'clock, must be four o'clock. And then you look at the, the clock and it's only ten past three and you go, oh, fuck. <laughs> It was a horrible job. Yeah, I was, I saw, when you're wishing your time away, I reckon that's really bad for your health when you're sitting there going, fuck, I wish it was sometime in the future. What I get out of this is a really inspiring story, though. You hated your job. You thought, you know, maybe one day this music thing will work, and it did. Um, eventually, I um, gambled on myself, and um, I was living in Canberra, and I have to quickly say, although Canberra was a terrible place, it was really good for me because nobody liked me there and I didn't have really any friends. And it enabled me to just totally focus in on music. And luckily I did my hard apprenticeship there because when I jumped out of my job and moved to Sydney in 1978, there were so many distractions. There was or suddenly there was a world of I had a load of friends and and there was drugs and there was the sea and the surf and the weather and parties and sort of meeting like-minded sort of people like me and I started working at a market. I'm glad that Canberra didn't have anything to offer and so that I could <laughs> turn inward on myself. I think that's a good recipe to be a, a songwriter or a musician is not to come from a big city but to move to the big city once you've done all the hard yards in your boring little place. It's a scary thing to do, though. Were you worried that all these things weren't going to work? You know, because you've got this job, you're obviously getting paid weekly, and then you think, oh, I'm going to toss it in and I'm going to head to the city. Was it, was it scary to do that? Uh, you remind me of something my mother said to me just before she died. She said, I bet you still wish you had your job in the public service. <laughs> <laughs> um, Look, I had this, this is hard to say without sounding grandiose, but it's the truth. I was always convinced I was going to make it. It was like, to me, it was a matter of time. And for convenience sake, I had hoped I could have made it. At the time, I was hoping I could make it from Canberra, but you can't make it. You couldn't in those days. You couldn't be, you had to move to Sydney or Melbourne. I had a sense of manifest destiny that this would surely happen for me, not because I was so good, but I would see people who were sort of starting to do well and I think, surely I'm as fucking good as that. 
or even as a kid, I thought, I'm going to make it. This is what I need to do, and I'm going to make it. And when I was 16, I got my first bass, and, you know, I used to stand looking at myself in the mirror, playing the bass, pretending to play, you know, playing along with my favourite records and thinking, yeah, you're in with a chance. <laughs> were the people around you saying the same thing? Were they saying, Steve, you're going to make it, your songs are great? No, no, they were not. They absolutely were not. And that was good for me. Eventually my little brother, when he got to about 16, he and I used to play him my tapes I was making, he, was, he believed in me. But nobody else, nobody else, the girls I went out with, other musicians I played with in Canberra, none of them, my music teacher, my piano teacher, Anybody you could have spoken to would have said, no, he's not going anywhere. My next question was going to be, what was the uh, the scene like in Sydney, 1978? I mean, even just early 80s, late 70s, uh, the, the Sydney rock and roll scene was was pumping, wasn't it? It was, the, um, it was the golden age of rock and roll, wasn't it? You know, all these legendary bands, like on one night, like on a Tuesday night in Sydney, any old Tuesday night, you might have the Angels and the Models and might have ACDC. You might have um, Rose Tattoo and the Chisels. The last time I saw you, Steve, was actually this year in April. You were playing the John Lennon show at the State Theatre. That was a fantastic night. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. How do you get a gig like that together? Do you just jump on the phone to Balby and all the others and just say, let's, let's play some John Lennon covers or is it a bit more than that? There's promoters that are do that are doing this thing, and then they need singers, and then they they stick all this stuff together, and then they just you're just a hired gun comes in and and yeah, it's a bit of horse trading with the songs. I didn't get much option actually. Um, <laughs> the musical director rang me up and said, "I guess I was the last one in the queue, and I I got I got ones nobody else. The one I did off Imagine was a real was like a." Pretty awful song. The church, not long after I would have seen you, church went overseas to the US. What's it like on the road in the US, especially being so far away from home and people sort of knowing knowing your music? I, th- I, I just find that that must be such an incredible experience. It really is, and I never, I never take it for granted. America especially is obviously the best country to tour um, and the audiences are the most enthusiastic. They really sort of understand us over there. This will go down really bad. I think Americans sort of dig us more than the Australians do. Something, don't get me wrong, there are obviously some Australians who really do dig the church. When I say dig, there's not so much liking it but sort of digging it, you know, like in the old-fashioned hippie sense of digging something, you know, I could... They're very enthusiastic. Because we're from somewhere else, we've got that great value as well of being more exotic. When you go and play downtown in Sydney, you know, everyone knows you're getting a taxi back to Coogee at the end of the gig. But, you know, when you're sort of just suddenly out of nowhere after maybe a couple of years, you suddenly appear in some city in America and there you walk out on stage and there's the band that they've been listening to Starfish for 30 years and all of this. So we, we, we were getting things sometimes we walk on stage and we get a standing ovation before we played a note, which is wow. really, yeah, and you go, fuck, I'm in Florida and I'm getting a standing ovation before yeah. I've even done anything. It's sort of like a, I still really 
I'm very proud of that and like enjoy it. And I don't think I could ever, even if I could kept going for another 30 years, um, I don't think I could ever get used to that feeling or ever um, underestimate it. It's wonderful. The American people are very hard to crack with music as well, uh, very particular with what they like. And a lot of Aussie bands didn't even attempt or go over there. So it's a, it's a credit to the church and your songwriting. Not a lot of bands have gone over there and been able to be successful. So it, it is a, a credit to you. I think the reason why that is, is because we were kind of individualistic. Like we were sort of had our own thing going our own little when you put our record on you came into our little world bands rocking rock and blues bands like that they're kind of competing against all the american bands that are already there was nobody like the church when we when we started up you've got to remember this in 1981 when our first record came out there was no rem there was no the only the only things that were vaguely in our ballpark had been the cure and they weren't really like the church anyway there was we kind of came along and in many ways sort of created our own little sub-genre of neo-psychedelia before anybody else so it was great when we finally got to america you got stuck there this i was looking at your uh, social media you were heading home and then you got stuck what happened there (laughs) well um I'm sorry to say that I'm not an Australian citizen. <laughs> and I'm, I have to admit to being an Englishman, I have an English passport, a British passport, and they used to put this thing in there going, this guy's a permanent resident and he can come in and come and go between these dates. They used to have this, like, sticker. And then suddenly it became an electronic thing you can't even read. I did two weeks touring with the band in America and then I visited my grandson in California. And then when I turned up at the airport, they said, "Um, where's your visa? And I went, what do you mean? I don't know. And they said, no, you're not going in. Mm -hmm. And so I'm standing there not being allowed in, which was kind of embarrassing. And and then standing there going, but, 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 the girl is, I'm sorry, sir, could you get out of the way? I've got to serve the next customer. And you're like, what the fuck? Luckily... I have my identical twins who both live in L.A. or just were outside L.A. and my grandson. So I just went and hung out with my daughters for two weeks until I had to do a, I had to do a sort of a submit my online, you know, visa thing. Yeah. Also, when I was on your social media, you're not just writing songs, recording songs. You've got some artwork as well. You've, you're very creative in, in that way as well. I saw, I saw a photo of you and a cheetah. A photo what? You and a cheetah that you had painted? Oh, a cheetah. Yeah, (laughs) the cheetah. Um, Look, the cheetah is now a cushion. Look at this. Oh, there it is. How good. You know what? I've been reading this book just now, um, just finished it today, this book about what happens to sort of rock stars when they sort of, they're not in their prime anymore. And and almost every motherfucker in the book is now a painter as well. It's like <laughs> Robbie Williams. Robbie Williams paints. Terence Trent Darby paints. Whoever is in this book, like the guy go and they, you know, they've also discovered painting. So yes, just like all the other sort of old rockers, I've discovered painting in my twilight years. It's good. Your paintings are good. Like you just showed your uh, your cushion there with the cheetah on it. Unreal. Can I show you my 
new painting. Yeah, where are we, where are we heading at the moment? Oh, it's, this is your lounge room, right? Okay, so who's that? That's um, that's going to be an artwork on the new church album. Um, a little painting I whipped up. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I paint. I'm a I'm a pastelist, which is a filthy medium. What colour are you going to do the zebra? Are you going to leave it white? What colour am I going to do the zebra? <laughs> what fucking colour do you think I'm going to do it? <laughs> can I can I tell you something about pastels? Absolutely. They are the most wonderfully intuitive art form. It's it's filthy and dirty. I've got it all over my fingers just from picking that one up. You put it on the paper and you can kind of push it around and sort of like it's it's like just your finger on it on the on the paper. How did you get into painting and and, and artwork? Is this something you've only just been doing in the last few years, or have you 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 always sort of done it parallel to your music? My um my brother had a little record company back in the late nineties. And he said, um, I found this record of all your old tapes. I used to draw Marvel superheroes for my little brothers and put them on the walls in their room and they would really love that, you know, be Spider-Man. And I loved doing it and then putting them on their walls and they were really proud, like, our brother drew this picture of Superman or something. He said, you used to do a bit of drawing and painting. Why don't you have a go at doing your own album cover? And I was also a silk screener. So... um, I did it and then he auctioned it off and then more people were writing to him saying, I'd like to buy one of his artworks. So in like 2002, I started sort of painting. And at first I was painting in watercolour and it was really, I had no idea what I was doing. And then one day my sister-in-law came around, she had a little box of pastels and said, look at this. You can rub it around with your finger and then you can take this eraser and take it away again as much as you want or not. And you can get this kind of depth. And as soon as I saw her do that, I was like, oh, that's it. Give me them. And then I just <laughs> became a pastelist. <laughs> well, you're bloody good at it. I don't know about that. Ruby Fields, she's a young artist and she covered Unguided Moment. The church songs, they are just living on, aren't they? Like through not only the band, the band's still around, but, you know, these generations continue to love the songs and cover the songs. And I just find it so great that your music is able to last. You know, there's there's songs out there that last six months on the radio and then they're never heard again, but there's something about the church and longevity. Is it amazing to see that, to see these young artists coming through and, and covering the church songs? It's very gratifying. It's like, what more could you want? I'm an old old man now. I'm an old guy um, and I love But every now and then you'll meet some really young fan, like in their teens, um, in America, when we do meet and greets, every now and then there'd be a guy and his daughter or a mother and her son, or and they'd gotten them into it, and this teenager really loves your music and wants to talk about it and ask you all about it. I think that's it's absolutely marvellous. My own kids, <laughs> my own kids, I wish they liked it as much as that. <laughs> um, yeah, when a, when a sort of a youngster does one of your numbers, it's very gratifying. As you, as you say, it's good to have written something that's kind of lasted a bit in this very ephemeral world. I never would have thought the morning I was sitting there writing that song that if I imagine if I jumped up and said, in 41 years' time, someone cool will be covering this song, they would have laughed. 
<laughs> well, she does a great cover of it, and it is a terrific song. Um, you got this tour in Australia, kicking off in September. Uh, it's it's a long show, isn't it? Is, is it two and a half hours? Yeah. How do you get the set list together for that when you've got so much music? Sort of horse trading, I guess. Like on every level, we're all trying to come up with the ideal set list. And, you know, it's to do with tempo and it's to do with key and it's to do with, you know, you don't want too many, say, sad, moody songs in a row. You've got to come break it up, break it all up. So we just sit around and usually it's our drummer, Tim, has been traditionally the one sort of, the sensible one who comes up with the best set list of the best running order. Um, you'd think it might be me, but it isn't. Um, yeah, I'm actually surprised by that. I am. I don't really want the responsibility. I'm usually happy. Somet- sometimes I'm not always happy with the choices of what we – but, you know, we're obligated to do some songs that I wouldn't necessarily do if we weren't obligated to do them. Yep. Oh, well. Well, there you go. Thank you for showing me your paintings, um, talking to me about music, America. It's been a great chat. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. There he is, Steve Kilby from The Church, still rocking after more than 40 years in the industry. Love to see it, and I love to have the hitmakers on. If you are listening to this podcast on the day of release, Tomorrow, the church are on tour. They start in Perth. It's the Slings and Arrows of Outrageous Fortune Tour. That's a mouthful, that one. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, they are hitting Perth tomorrow. They will be also heading to Adelaide, Sydney, Wollongabba, Northcote. You can grab your tickets from thechurchband.net forward slash shows. Go and check them out. They are unreal. Okay, now it's time for this. Yeah, this is the part of the show where you can write on in. You can uh, you can also hit up the band on Instagram and leave some comments, which I usually start this segment with. This one's from Mango Snake. It's a fancy name. Uh, this took me back to being a teenager. Your songs are going straight into my nostalgic playlist. So that's for the Ritzy Kids band, uh, Breakthrough. That's probably the most popular song at the moment from the band, which is only... You know, a bit over a year old. So thank you very much, Mango Snake. I love the name and I I love your comment to me. I'd also like to do a little shout out to uh, Jimmy D. He called me and he said he's enjoying the show. He's looking forward to the Steve Kilby episode. So g'day, Jim. And Jim's best mate, Smithy, got a hole-in-one at the North Ride Golf Course. Not easy to do that. Jim actually hasn't got a hole-in-one. Sorry to rub it in, Jim. (laughs) But Smithy uh, got this hole-in-one. And they they had a bunch of drinks afterwards, and uh, it was a complete write-off is what I'm hearing, which is what you got to do. You get a hole-in-one. You know, some people play golf their whole lives and don't manage one of them, so you got to do it. I've also heard a story where hitting a hole-in-one can be detrimental to your wallet because if you hit a hole-in-one at some golf courses, you have to shout the bar. I don't know how that works. You know, if you've got the skill to hit a hole in one, why do you then have to go back to the bar and shout everyone? I don't know. Golf. What the hell? Anyways, Jimmy, I'll see you out on the course soon. As for the Ritzy Kids, we are playing our debut show in just a couple of weeks' time uh, at the Bridge Hotel in Roselle, September 30. So it's like 30 days away. If you want to get a ticket... Come and check out the band. I'm already seeing plenty being sold at the moment, which is so great to see. But if you want to grab one, hit up theritzykids.com, grab a ticket. We're all going to have a great night. 
We've also announced the Support Act this week. Josh Josh is the band that's going to be playing with us. Uh, Josh is a musician from the Northern Beaches. He plays uh, acoustic pop rock thing. It's very catchy, very cool. And uh, he'll be bringing his band along to play before us on September 30. All right, I think that's enough for this week's episode. Be good to have you back next week. Ta-da. <laughs>